morning and welcome to The Home Show with me, Sinead Ryan. Coming up today, we'll be looking at some of the world's wackiest homes with travel journalist Joan Scales. Culinary historian Regina Sexton will be taking us back in time to examine how our ancestors kept food cool during heatwaves. And Neve Marr from The Journal will be showing us the coolest gadgets on the market. If you'd like to get involved in the show today, you can text us here on 53106 for 30 cent. Email us at thehomeshow at newstalk.com. You'll find me over on Instagram at Sinead Ryan 100 and you can listen live or listen back to all of our shows which are up as podcasts on the News Talk app that's powered by Go Loud. Well now that was what you'd call a mixed week weather-wise wasn't it? We went from over 30 degrees in some parts of the country to me wearing my coat again by Wednesday. Uh, Now we know we're in the thrust of uh, significant climate change and these extreme weather events are ramping up across the globe with more frequency and severity and I'm afraid it is something we are all going to have to uh, learn to cope with one way or the other. There were a couple of days last week which were so hot it seemed hard to know how to cool down. I found myself dying to be inside the house rather than in the garden which is such a shame Uh, and even going for a walk was kind of exhausting. We got the kayak out one day and paddled around Bullock Harbour to see the seals basking on the rocks in the bay. I counted eight of them, which is a record, uh, just to enjoy the sea breeze. And later on the show, I'll be chatting to our regular guest, Neve Marr. We sent her shopping to find some cooling devices to keep temperatures down uh, should they make a reappearance. But before that, uh, I, I'd love to hear your favourite ways of escaping the heat. Is it ditching the duvet or keeping the blinds closed or maybe sneaking a frozen margarita? And I can't blame you. There's no judgement on the home show. Even at this hour in the morning, you can text us on 53106 or email me at thehomeshow at newstalk.com and you're very welcome along to the show this morning. Now we talk a lot about house building on the home show which for the most architects is based on traditional designs and materials but what kind of house would you build if you had an open checkbook and buckets of creativity? Well Joan Scales, editor of Travel to Ireland has been checking out the world's most unusual and downright wacky homes <laughs> and she joins oh, well, me now in I'm delighted to be on with you Sinead and honestly people's imagination where do they get their ideas? Yeah but also why? I mean uh, some but, of yeah, this well, stuff is so, really Some weird. of it is definitely a why I mean why would you want to build a house that looks like a toilet? <laughs> I know I Actually look let's start with that one because we do need to go further afield I mean looking at the list you've kind of compiled it's a bit like well are Irish architects just desperately stayed or is it the planning process maybe that's a good thing I think uh, yeah. judging by planning some of this obviously has a lot to do with it because a lot of these houses that we're going to talk about were built without planning I mean you couldn't be putting them up in Harold's Cross or no, Clonakilty or anywhere alright okay <laughs> um, so this this is kind of at the mad end of the scale if just something takes your notion and you have bucket, more money than Zens maybe uh, what would you go for so the one you're talking about a toilet Shaped totally house. Shaped now I, I found this hard to kind of think about until I saw the picture of it. So I'll, I'll pop it up on my on my Twitter feed after after the show. This is in Seoul. Yes, in South Korea. In South Korea. So talk to me about it because yeah. it does actually look like it a does actually look Why like a toilet. It really does, mm. and it was about the sanitation activists. You know, to oh, right. trying to improve sanitation in in South Korea, and it was part of a campaign. To, to actually promote a better sanitation. So they built this house looking like campaign, a toilet. It's isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely, um, so but it certainly got attention. 
Yeah. Now, can we assume the the lid doesn't come up on it? It's, no, I don't okay. think the lid comes up uh, on it. And I the think bowl it's just, of it, as it were, is is are a kind of it's a wall of windows. It's definitely all windows. Yeah. So, so it's really only when you see it from above that you actually say that it actually looks like a toilet seat. Yeah. When you're looking below, it actually looks like it's all these windows in on the side of it. Well, you'd hope that it would have a, a rake of bathrooms inside at the very least, <laughs> wouldn't you? Well, there's plenty and of space because it's quite substantial. <laughs> it certainly is. OK, well, that's the one. That's the toilet-shaped house. I'm not going to pretend to pronounce that, but it looks like Heiwuje is the name of the house, um, which means, it translates to satisfying one's anxiety. There you go. Well, in there you Suwon, well, in well, South as we Korea. all know, right. sanitation's oh, highly important, important yes, in our is, lives. Indeed. All right. Now, some of the others you've been taking a look at. There's one in um, in Serbia, in Belgrade. Um, I don't know how this one is standing, actually. So you tell this, me. This is fascinating because this was built by some students in um, on an island. It's a rock on an island and they built a house on top of it. And you look at it and you think, how on earth did they manage to do well, it? Well, now, island is a bit generous. Well, it's rock. It's just a rock. It's basically a yeah. rock. And you think, how on earth did they manage to put this house? And and there's no floor under it, all around the house. It's just one supporting column underneath it. And you think, how did they do it? It was a group of young men who decided it would be the ideal place for a tiny shelter. And... <laughs> and and they constructed it themselves. So the and it's kind of cross. on a stilt, is it? It's like it's on a stilt, on a plinth. And it does actually have a little veranda and everything and a nice green roof on it. But it's a tiny house now, I'd say. It's it probably is. only it's about sh- a shed. 20 and metres. <laughs> I'm, one, I'm thinking maybe you wouldn't want too many visitors. It just no, looks a bit unstable, definitely, doesn't it? Definitely. And, and, and what's below it is only a rock. I mean, mm. landing on the rock, I mean, that's it. There's very little space. Yeah. You wouldn't be having a You'd house party here. Straight into your boat, wouldn't you? Because there's no, there's nowhere else. To, there's nowhere there's else to, to go. Do. Yes. You'd want to be getting on with each other, bringing no, back a cards. Definitely not, okay. not big enough for a house party. So that's the house on the rock on the Drina River, and that is in yeah. uh, Serbia, in Belgrade, uh, and it was built in 1968. So listen, like it's still there. So still that there, has to yes, tell you something, place, doesn't it? Yeah, okay, they obviously right. did a good job. A tiny shelter. All right. Now uh, this. <laughs> This next one I love. This is a converted, or is it a converted, or was it built in the shape of a, of a plane? I think it was aeroplane. built in the shape of a plane. Right. Yeah. Okay. Now, there are a number of planes around the world where you can actually stay in them that are actually hotels okay, and yeah. um, uh, holiday rentals as well. Yeah. But this is actually a home that someone built to look like uh, an airplane, like a Boeing, an old, the older version of a Boeing. Yeah. And it's in the Lebanon. And it's um, it, it, it's in a place called Miziara where people do build unusual homes and ho- homes like Greek temples and stuff. Okay. But obviously someone got the idea that they were going to build a house that looks exactly like, actually it's an Airbus 380, not a Boeing. Um, and it looks amazing. You've got your uh, stairs up to it, you know, like well, you would. Well, imagine you put the master suite in first class, it wouldn't you? Oh, definitely. To. Or your oh, bar, maybe. On the upper deck. <laughs> definitely exactly. on the upper deck. OK, that's a very unusual no- one now. And actually substantial. You could have a good load of the whole family across oh, to that. You definitely. Know, Plenty there. of space there now. I said there'd be more than a few bathrooms in that yeah. one. OK, now um, what, there's another one here um, in Strasbourg, uh, which looks like... I. I don't know what it looks like, actually. Well, it's you a, tell me I think it's, it's a geodesic dome, oh, which right. is uh, which is a multi-sided dome. 
And I think the point of this is to take in as much light as possible. Okay. And it's a three-dimensional sundial, basically. So it absorbs the light. It's a bioclimatic solar house. Oh, well, there you go. So it's absorbing light and energy, of course, from the sun. And it's, um, it's set at a certain angle to follow the sun's movement and shade during the summer months and then keeping the temperature cool. And then during the winter time, the sunlight enters the large windows and um, warms the living area. So it's very much well, on trend of, of what, we, what we're it? looking for nowadays, yeah. definitely. And and it kind of means you can move around the house depending on the temperature, on the, temperature the time of year and, the, yeah. and and move move kind of your stuff accordingly. Yes, yeah, It's definitely. a bit minimalist now. It's, you wouldn't want to well, lot it's of very, stuff. Well, it's actually, hmm. it is very minimalist. I wouldn't, but be, I wouldn't I'd be bringing kids in there either now, to be honest with you. There's a lot of glass <laughs> and open staircases <laughs> and concrete and all that. Okay. Right. So that is the Heliodrome. Uh, in Strasbourg, Strasbourg in France. Okay, I'll put I'll put photos up of some of these now. Uh, oh God! Right, the next one. Um, this is in. Okay, I thought the plane was a bit weird, but this is in the shape of a crocodile. It is, isn't it? It's the Ivory Coast, and of course, where do you get crocodiles? <laughs> exactly. But there, so but wouldn't you think you'd get enough of them? You don't want to build your house in the yeah, shape of one. But but you know, actually, in in Africa, people build their coffin. Their coffins are built like crocodiles and cars and things that were inspired them in the watches. I don't know if you've ever seen some of those coffins. Right. And I've seen some of them done like crocodiles. Uh, so it's an inspiration, I suppose, from nature for this house. Yeah. And, and, and it's like a generous. crocodile of what, yeah. <laughs> what you would see locally. <laughs> okay. And that's in the Ivory Coast. In, uh, in the in Ivory Abidjan. Coast, yeah. And uh, it was actually designed by a guy called uh, Atta. Uh, Thierry Atta but he died just before that thing was finished so that, ah, that well. poor, poor fella never got to Hopefully see it. Hopefully someone is enjoying it. Yeah. Now of course sports provides great um, inspiration for all sorts of design and things uh, but we've a house here in Japan where else? In a, in the shape of, of a soccer ball. I think this is brilliant. It looks fantastic. don't know if I'd want to live in it but it looks amazing and it, it, it's also built, again, it's, it's using this geodesic design, yeah. which is, this is a 32-panel um, geodesic design, and it's on stilts, so it looks like it's floating. And um, The whole point of this house was to make it uh, earthquake-resistant, because, of course, Japan is oh, very is. prone to earthquakes. Mm. And it's, so what I, does it? It bounces around <laughs> instead well, of... <laughs> I would say because it's on these, um, they're basically their legs, they will move with the movement of the earth. So your your actual house, which looks like a football, will stay steady and the legs will take absorb the okay. um, the earthquake, uh, right. the movement from the earthquake. And it was very cheap at the time. It was only $15,000 to build. Okay, right. Yeah. A little pod still wouldn't want to live in it. Okay. No, um, it was tiny. <laughs> yeah. Now, and, and then finally, um, there is a lovely one in um, China. Uh, and it is actually called the China House. But tell me what's unusual about this one, Joan, because it looks amazing. It does look amazing. And in actual fact, it kind of reminds you of some of Gaudi's work as well. Uh, basically, this man has taken porcelain, all kinds of pieces of porcelain, and put them onto the house. So the house is completely covered in all these um, dishes and bowls and vases. All You know, that beautiful blue and white mm. uh, China work that you see. So... The only thing I would say about this, if an architect was looking, or an archaeologist was looking at this, they'd probably say, oh my God, that's 
Keen density or gin density or whatever. They'd be saying, oh my God. Put out a bit at the kitchen window there yeah, and sell it on, on Antiques Road. Absolutely, show. because I'm sure some of these, these are like, some of these pieces are hundreds of years old. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure they are valuable oh, as I'm well. Oh, I'm certain. I'm certain. Now tell me, um, if people just want to go maybe a little bit closer to home and see some unusual designs of homes maybe when they're on their holidays yeah. where where could they go? Well I've seen a number um, of places I must say that that kind of struck me I was recently in the north of Spain and I went to see a house that was one of Gaudi's first commissions mm. uh, when he was very young he was only 30 at this stage and he built a house in Camillas in Cantabria and it's called El Capricio and it's when, when you see it, you, you realise this is where the inspiration come from for Sagrada Familia. Mm. So the outside the house is covered in tiles, beautiful flowers on the mm. tiles. There's a big tower, big, huge tower on it um, with a very kind of onion-shaped dome on top of it. And the whole house inside is beautifully done. The rooms are quite small, but the inter- inside of the house is um, like a conservatory. So oh, it's right. very bright and light inside. Yeah. It's lovely. Yeah. It's really nice. And of course, you can go and see the Battle House in Barcelona that he built. Oh as yeah, well. the Battle Oh yeah, that's absolutely. That's incredible. That's stunning. Actually, I yeah. love going to see that. Well worth going to see. Well worth going to yeah. see. And that. of course, Cesar Manrique. He's Cesar Manrique, also great now, architect. Lanzarote, of course, is our favourite yeah. island, as yeah. we know. We yeah. all head to Lanzarote, and Cesar Manrique. We we have him to thank for how nice Lanzarote is because Cesar Manrique was an artist but he was also an activist and his activism centred around the environment and his activism was in the 1960s and 70s and part of what he he was involved in local government was that uh, Lanzarote has always been painted white the houses would be painted white there would be nothing higher than a palm tree mm-hmm. so he was the one who who set these regulations and helped to put them into place. So it meant that Lanzarote didn't get overdeveloped like mm. other parts of Spain, which he was, he was horrified about. But he lived in a fascinating house. I've gone to see it. And his house is lava bubbles. Because, yeah. of course, Lanzarote is a volcanic island. And these massive bubbles are under the, under the ground. And he... Um, turned them into a very interesting house. So they're like three huge big bubbles, swimming pool and everything. And uh, it's a real 1960s design. It's it almost, is. It's like something it's, that you'd see on Space 1999. Yeah, yeah, It's fabulous. No, it's well worth a visit. Yeah, well and, worth and a visit. one of their best tourist uh, attractions. Oh, attractions yeah. Really, yeah. I say if you go to Lanzarote, you do mm. go and see that. Mm. And the other one I saw quite recently was... Um, Another fascinating house and it's Pierre Cadan's house. Oh, he right, the fashion house. designer. Yeah, the yeah. fashion designer. It's called Palais des Boules. It's in near Toulouse-sur-Mer in uh, the south of France. And um, that's fascinating because basically the architect who designed it designed it to look like cellular. So the bubbles of life, he called it. So it's all these kind of bubbles and you move from bubble to bubble to bubble. And it's painted a very kind of um, earthy, earthy colour. So it sits into the, the it's up mm. on a hillside, it sits into the hillside really well. So Pierre Cardin used it for his home and when it's entertainment and stuff. And parts of it you feel a bit like Barbarella in it, you know. <laughs> 
<laughs> that's worth it when you're on your holidays. It now, is. before I let you go, Joan, yeah. a quick word on all the wildfires that are sweeping through Europe at the moment. If people are in or thinking of heading to maybe the interior of Spain or yeah. France, w- would you be warning against it at this stage or...? I think you have to be very careful. And before you go anywhere, make sure you have insurance. Yeah. You know, yeah, I'd so you say the priority have insurance. Yeah. And make sure you have a good policy. Read the policy, print the small print before you go. Okay. And, uh, but yeah, you've got to keep an eye on what's happening. But I know it is very worrying. And it, we just don't know where it's going to happen next. I know. Or where it's going to turn or, you know, what places are going to be affected. Yeah. But definitely people's holidays are being ruined, okay. spoiled and oh. having to be ended quickly. Yeah. All yeah. right. Okay. So well, be I careful. suppose that that's the first world problem with, with yeah. all of that. But um, nevertheless, distressing for people who've booked something. All right, Joan Scales, editor of Travel to Ireland. Thanks a million for bringing us all those weird and wacky homes <laughs> on the home show. Thanks, we cover all kinds Thank you for here. Me on. And still to come on the show, we'll be travelling back through time to get an insight into the olden days of how they cooled food in hot weather. So stay tuned, and uh, I'll chat to you in a few moments. And you're very welcome back to the Home Show here on News Talk. I'm Sinead Ryan with you. Till the top of the hour, we were looking at some weird and wacky houses before the break with Joan Scales. If you want to listen back to that, it's on the News Talk app, which is powered by Go Loud. And indeed, all of our podcasts are there. Now, with all our modern appliances these days, it can be easy to forget what it must have been like for our ancestors when they had to store and cool food with minimal resources in hot weather. Uh, culinary historian Regina Sexton joins me on the line now to give us an insight into historic storage tricks. Regina, you're very welcome back to The Home Show. My pleasure to be here, Sinead. Thank you for the invite. Now, I was lucky enough to pay a visit a couple of years ago to Hampton Court Palace, which of course was King Henry VIII's Tudor Party Palace. Uh, And uh, you can take a tour through the kitchens there and it's absolutely fascinating to see ice houses and salt houses and all kinds of preservation methods that must have seen been kind of top end at the time in the 16th century. Uh, Tell us a little bit about how you know, in the era before refrigeration, how kind of uh, hundreds of years ago families stored food? Yes, and uh, a visit to Hampton Court is is absolutely just fascinating. Uh, And it's interesting as well, because what you're dealing with there are the elites of society. So how they're treating their food uh, is interesting to look at, because over time, uh, those kind of rituals and customs will make their way down the social hierarchy. So when you're looking at the, I suppose, the wealthy in society, uh, particularly now at this time of the year when it's warm, uh, sometimes very warm, and you're dealing with a perishable item, which is food, particular types of food, what is very important is, 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 is to devise ways of keeping this chilled and keeping it cool. So for, you know, the courts, like Hampton Courts and the courts throughout Europe, for example, they would have had access to ice, and as you say, ice houses. So these were structures on their estates, and you find examples of them in Ireland as well, at the big landed estates. These are structures called ice houses. Um, the structure itself is over the ground, but the ice is packed under the ground, where below the frost line, you'll have a constant temperature. So if you pack ice in there, it will keep throughout the summer months for, for you. Uh, it will be harvested in winter, stored like ice harvesters, or it's imported from places like later on in time, like Norway, uh, and Scotland, and it's packed into these ha- ice houses, and then it's accessed or the f- when you need to chill foods like drinks or fruits, 
or you can place foods in there that are highly perishable, like fish, uh, meats, and sometimes, uh, you know, kind of dairy produce and so on. It seems extraordinary that it would last the summer months. I mean, if you take an ice cube out of your fridge, even if you do push it underground, you know, you, you still expect it to melt. And we have an example actually can stay there. Uh, the ice house in, in hotel in Ballina. That was an old ice house storage. Sure. And, and, and it's flush with the road, but actually it's underground. Isn't that right? Yeah, that's right. And I suppose that, yeah, you, for, for our kind of mind thinking about this, we'll say, gosh, how does it last? And, you know, how is it going to last all this time? But as I say, at a certain point below the ground where the temperature remains uh, constant, uh, and if the ice is packed properly, possibly if it's treated with salt, but also if it's, it sort of has an insulation uh, component to it, like flaw and so on, it will last. And in fact, that's what happens because as you then move down the social uh, hierarchy, I suppose, you get the inventions of kind of miniature ice houses, if you like, like ice boxes mm. uh, that people would have had in their houses uh, lined with tin or copper and insulated as well. And these are like the precursors to the plug-in fridge. Mm. Um, you know, you have an ice block in there, the top shelf, the cool air will circulate and it will keep highly perishable foods um, chilled. I mean, it has to be replaced and so on. Um, you know, so that ice house, uh, you know, the science and the technique behind that is transferred to the ice box that you have, if you have money, in your own house. Mm. And then if you don't have an ice box at all, uh, and this is, is um, you know, a technique that possibly is still within the living memory of, of some people and some listeners, is the idea of the food safe, um, where you had, uh, again, a sort of a cabinet that's constructed with the sides, each of the four sides, um, possibly in mesh, uh, so that you have free circulation of air going through it, and you would position that food safe in a place inside or outside the house that you know is uh, cooler, draftier, possibly darker. And then again, in the high point of the warm month, you place your perishables in there, things like eggs and meat mm. and fish, dairy produce, and it will keep them. You know, it won't obviously it won't keep them as long as uh, you'll keep foods. Uh, good in, in the modern day electrical fridge yeah. but it will keep them in condition. Now of course the other um, method of preserving food uh, apart from ice is salting it or smoking it and, and that was and, and to some extent of course remains a very popular way even though we don't need to preserve it in the same way these days. Yeah like it's interesting for us I suppose we don't think about you know what would happen if I brought home uh, a block of butter or something that wasn't salted and how do I keep that or if I brought a home a fish that's fresh, how do I keep that? This is not how we kind of have a relationship with food anymore. You know, we have a completely different relationship with it. But for people in the past, this is a constant. You know, they have to deal with food. Sometimes when the food is in glut, when it's in season, there's lots of it. So you can consume only a certain amount. But then you have to think about the winter months ahead. And how are you going to make good that glut and save it? Uh, for the months ahead and you know the, the, the traditional the pre-scientific if you like or maybe even pre-19th century approaches to keeping food as best as possible mm. are the techniques you mentioned drying salting smoking pickling fermenting and also the big one which I'm fascinated about is a new player on the scene uh, from the late 1600s into the 17th century onwards is sugar Sugar comes online. Oh, right. Okay, because that was very much a luxury item yes, when, when, yeah. when it was first discovered and and really only kind of 
realised for its preservation qualities at a later stage. Yeah, so you first of all have this hit of a new taste, which is the taste of the elite, like your Hampton Court situation, like you, you spoke about. But then it becomes highly functional in that this is a fantastic preservation agent um, for your glut of fruits in particular, um, you know, for, for preserving foods whole, for making them into jellies and jams and pastes and so on. And again, that's a whole kind of revolutionary change that's happening because of context with the new world, uh, with the Americas and so mm. on. And interestingly, in all of that, I suppose this scientific advance in preserving foods in the late, throughout the 18th and the 19th centuries, is connected in many ways to that uh, travelling idea, moving out from where you're based, you know, travelling overseas or travelling if you're in an army or travelling if you're in the Navy. And the whole, um, I suppose, a necessity of having food at that instant and devising ways in which you could keep food for these adventures. Mm, indeed. So, so the whole, you know, food is such an interesting uh, subject because holistically it's all networked together. So sugar because of travelling overseas, preservation, striving for technological advance throughout the late 18th and 19th centuries to bring us into a situation where by today we have this relationship with food where we get it, we buy it, we get it, we can have it lasting in our homes for far longer than maybe two generations would have mm, had mm. the luxury to experience. And and you can sometimes forget how difficult it was uh, both to buy and store food uh, back in those days. Now, uh, bogs and turf and all that, very, very much in the news today for all sorts of reasons. Uh, but in fact, there is a preservation history with bogs in, in the sense of bog butter. What's that, Regina? Yeah, so Sinead, if you're in a situation whereby you have, your cows are giving a lot of milk at this time of the year and possibly you don't, and you have to convert it into, into a storable butter, cheese, hard cheeses in particular. But what if you are in a situation whereby, for example, you don't have this key preservation agent, salt, something that civilizations are built on over time, and this is expensive. A lot of it has to be imported into Ireland. So what if you find yourself in this situation where you've lost the milk, you're trying to preserve for the winter months, and you're without your preserving agents? What do you do in that context? And in Ireland, but in other places too, but Ireland is particularly, I suppose, um, high in, in, in the volume of bug yes. butter fines for the country. Um, what happens is that, like we spoke about the underground storage with the ice and so on, um, Bogs are very interesting because a lot of them are highly acidic, but also the anaerobic conditions of the bog is cutting out the outside world and the air and so on. Mm. So if you put something into that, it will preserve. So they buried buried butter pats, was it? Well, they would bury it. it you, the, the fines of butter in the bogs are um, some of the fines are small, others are up to twenty three kilos, which wow. is quite substantial. Um, so what happens is the butter is made. It's most usually it's it's wrapped in something, be it leather or an animal bladder mm. or even the bark of a tree or a wooden vessel. And then it's placed in a bog. And in that anaerobic sealed condition, that butter will, it won't remain the same as the, butter you, the fresh butter without salt that you put in. But it will, um, I suppose, have a longer shelf life. I like. imagine it would impart a kind of a smoky flavour to it as well. Because if you're going to preserve it, in a bog for long enough, you're you're going to have some of the elements of the, of the turf 
coming into it, surely. Uh, you are, of course. And if you look at some of the sort of the historical accounts of it through time, they talk about butter. It, it, it changes consistency after about three months. But there's some, you'll see some sort of accounts talking about butter being in the bog mm. for seven years. Wow. Butter flavoured with garlic. And when that comes out, it's got, I suppose, structurally and texturally, it's changed. Um, some experiments have compared it to a, uh, aged ghee. Okay, so it's going to have a changed taste. Yeah. Uh, there are some references to it being rancid and so on, but I suppose that's all relative to a modern day palace, you know, that we're not kind of, I suppose, that familiar with. Very yeah, we're used, to, we're used to the old Kerrygold, which doesn't need a bog <laughs> to preserve it. So I, they would have had different tastes and different uh, ways of storing. Uh, and they would have had to get used to whatever you got at the other end of it. And I suppose learn to learn to enjoy it. All right. But that's right. And they probably liked that because that was a different <laughs> indeed, palace. Was, indeed. Um, yeah. So, and Ireland has a high number of those uh, bog butter finds. Um, uh, you know, you'll find them in other places as well, but uh, but but Ireland is particularly high. And of course, it goes back to the fact that butter was a luxury commodity. It is literally the fat of the land. Yeah, and and so of course, you're you're using the resources you have around you, the the kind of processes you have around you, and this would have built up over generations and be passed on from from housewife to housewife, really, or cook to cook, um, in order to uh, to keep and propagate that. Regina, it's been fascinating talking to you. It always is because you're just so interesting and and you know have so much history in your head about this kind of thing um, thank you very much for bringing us that uh, I think we are, we're lucky now no matter how hot the weather gets uh, we, we are I suppose gratified that we have more modern methods uh, to, to keep our food fresh Regina Sexton Food and Culinary Historian thanks a million for joining us on The Home Show Very nice talking to you Shalee thank you And you're welcome back to the Home Show here on News Talk. I'm Sinead Ryan. Before the break, I had a fascinating chat with uh, culinary historian Regina Sexton. She's always so interesting and she has all the facts at her fingertips, not a note inside, talking about the preservation of food when it is cool, uh, when when you want to keep it cool in the hot times. Uh, And we're going to stay on that theme because I want to know your favourite ways to cool down when it's hot out there. So keep getting those into us on 53106 or email them at thehomeshow at newstalk.com. And don't worry if the heatwave visits us. This summer, we have some expert tips now to help you with Neve Mark, creative director with the journal uh, here with me in studio to talk to about how to stay cool whether you're at home and abroad and and uh, you're very welcome Neve and congratulations on the new gig oh thank you Sinead delighted yeah great great move and um, also you're going high tech now with us but not not necessarily high cost these exactly are, these are how to use gadgets to keep us cool. So let's kick off. What's the first one that you have now? The first one is if you're into keeping cool, you love gadgets and you're also a big fan of fashion because this is a mini neck fan um, from from livingsocial.ie. So it's only €22 and it is exactly what it says on the tin. It's basically a neck fan that you place around your neck. It looks like a torque. You know the the old Irish gold torques that they had? That is exactly what it looks like. Um, That is not what it is. So people will be glad to hear that it's bladeless. Um, It's available in white, black, pink and green. Uh, There are two styles of fan that you can choose from as well and there's a couple of different sizes. But the thing with this is that it's perfect for travelling or 
or for sports. So like, I don't know if you are the type of person who is out and about during the big uh, heat wave, but when you're even walking around, the humidity sometimes is just what gets to me more than anything. And it's all very well having all the gadgets in your house, but even out and about, look, it's not for everyone. It's a statement. So what does it do? It, it sits around your neck and yeah. it kind of blows air at you. Is that's that, ex- that's oh, exactly what it does. Because yeah. the, ne- the back of the neck is a kind of a pulse point, isn't it? So you ha- if you keep that cool, the rest oh, of you should be okay. Oh, it's very cooling, yeah. Oh, and it's okay. USB rechargeable as well. Um, right. So yeah, it's handy. And, and I would say that it would definitely be for somebody who has the outdoor life. If you're going for a hike or something, I mean, you can just yeah. see how that would really cool you down. Okay. Uh, you can look at it on livingsocial.ie okay. as well. The hanging neck fan. All right, they may come up with a better name for that. <laughs> Maybe, okay. <laughs> well, again, <laughs> they're, they're direct they're to the point this is um, the <laughs> just what it says in the tin exactly okay now so the next one is also a kind of a fan as well uh, yes so well that was the mini neck fan so this is okay. the difference now this is the hanging neck fan so this is from funtech.ie and this is 17 euros so again a little bit um, even less expensive than the one that wraps around and this hangs so this is um, a battery charged fan it kind of looks like one of those old transistor radios you know yeah. kind of like but it's much smaller than that um, and it's hands free you hang it around your neck again you know, it's a bit of a statement piece, but it is a portable <laughs> What fan. statement are you I, making, Neve, with this round? That I don't neck? like the heat. Okay. That I don't enjoy it, that I can't get anything done and I can't concentrate. So this is exactly what it is. Uh, and yeah, so it's it's battery charged. You get about six hours out of it. Okay. And look, if you're going to a park or a picnic, you're going to be out all day and you just want a fan. Instead of having the old school ones that you have to you know, blow yourself. This okay. is just one that wraps Because do you remember when, you probably don't remember, but when the smoking ban first came in, uh, people used to go around with these tiny little fans that you hold up in front of your face and you'd nearly, your statement is like, I don't like the smoke, uh, get yeah, out of my face. you'd almost be blowing yeah. it away. Well, this is kind of along those lines, except again, it's just a statement that we are not equipped for anything no, over 25 no, degrees no, if you're right. Irish. Well now if there is a master of getting us to spend money on things we didn't know we needed it is James Dyson. So what um, what has Dyson right. uh, got now to to give us and this would be the this be the upper end of the market well, I'm guessing. This would be at the do I really need this end of the market for sure. So this is the Dyson Pure Cool Purifying Desk Fan. It's a portable desk and it's probably the the cheapest fan that you can get from Dyson and it's 499 euro and 99 You'd want to be very, very hot and bothered to spend that kind of money. Well, this is the thing. I mean, look, I'm going to be completely honest with you, Sinead. I have a Dyson. I have one in my bedroom and it has been a godsend. Really? Absolutely. I I mean, the thing is, there's all the tech and the science that goes behind it about the fact that it purifies the air as well because uh, the majority of the pedestal fans that you can get and because we're not a country that's equipped for this level of heat, it just kind of blows the hot air around you yeah, and that's kind of what yeah. the, the fans do um, which which isn't really that good and doesn't exactly cool you down at all so that's the thing with the, the Dysons it takes the air it cools it it also purifies it and it does make a big difference I suppose the other thing as well they look really cool they don't have fast spinning blades so they can't hurt little hands so they're very safe if you mm. have kids in the house um, as well they also have a heating function so you can utilise it oh, right, okay. when it's when it's winter time as all well if you're so inclined so yeah and is I mean, it, it's not noisy now because if you have that on during the night you it's don't, not you, 
it's not noisy. I mean, it 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 does produce a certain amount of sound. Yeah. But at the same time, what we use is a sleep timer, which is great. So you have it on maybe when you're going to sleep, and then you can time it throughout oh, the night cool. so that it comes on. Oh, wait, wait, yeah. <laughs> stop. Now the puns, <laughs> big fan. Um, but yeah, Bam. So, yeah big fan. right. Okay, so that's the Dyson. Um, yeah, it does, lo- and it looks like every other Dyson product you've seen, folks. It's kind of big circle, open circle, sitting on a on a kind of a pod. And uh, if you want to spend that money and uh, you can. Look at them as investment pieces, I think, with Dyson. That's mm. the only way to look at them. A it's a feat of engineering if you want to go that way. OK, all right. Now, for people who do not have €449 Euros or anything like it, uh, are there DIY options that you can just do at home that cost you nothing, Neve? Well, yeah, what I was saying there, Sinead, about um, you know the fact that a lot of the fans that we would have maybe already or have used in the past and they're not that good in terms of you know moving cold air around or producing any cold air at all, there was a trend going around TikTok that took off over the last few weeks um, of course because of the completely ridiculous levels of heat that we've been experiencing (laughs) and you just get any run-of-the-mill fan that you have and you place a bowl of ice in front of it and then obviously I mean it's pretty self-explanatory it just gets the the cold air that's coming from the ice yeah, actually, and it shoves it that around idea. the room. Yeah, this and moves it. moves it about because the the kind of the ice is melting as the fan is catching the vapor. Exactly. So at Lisa FJ14 on TikTok, she posted a video of this. It got watched over 300,000 times. Wow. Um you can obviously do it with ice cube trays. Now there were other people as well who were putting water into plastic bottles and then freezing those bottles and just placing them in front of the fan. Again, we're probably getting into the don't try this at home area <laughs> and I would be more inclined. Or put a towel down if you're going I to would be more inclined to just say, look, try it with a bowl of ice that's a good distance away from the fan, put it out of reach of any little hands and uh, and yeah, you'd be, you'd be flying. But I think it does solve the problem of the fact that we're not a country that has AC, know, you know, know, so we don't know. have that cool Well, I system. think, look, it was only a couple of days and I think we all lost the run of ourselves in Absolutely. terms of, you know, the drama, oh, it's the gone melodrama. We'll never see it again and now exactly. and we're, we're not, done. Now. That's it. That's it. That was um, our summer. Hopefully we'll get, we'll get a little bit of heat later on. Now, Neve, one of the the nicest ways uh, to keep cool uh, is with an ice cream. Now, Henry McKean was playing Ice Cream Man, not very successfully now it has to be said, for News Talk during the week uh, with hilarious results. You can check it out on his Twitter feed. It's very funny. Um, it kind of exploded on him. But uh, I, I do love a 99, I must say. But we've had you look at some st- slightly more stylish ways than Henry to prepare a sweet treat uh, in terms of glasses and sundaes. Do you remember the old fashioned ice cream sundaes? When we were kids, we used to have a scoop of ice cream topped up with uh, lemonade. Wow. And uh, that was such a treat. Like an ice cream soda almost. Yeah. 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 So I, I was actually... I loved this. I, I was going searching and looking at different ways that you can do this because especially during the summer if you're having guests over obviously the classic is having the barbecue and getting drinks prepared but presenting somebody with an old school sundae in a nice glass I mean it's just something that they'll talk about and remember and I just think it's a lovely a way of doing things. Do you know I did a bit of uh, looking into the history of Sundays actually because I wasn't somebody who got a lot of Sundays when I was younger so I didn't really know um, and there are these things called the Sunday Wars in America because they all fight over 
who created the first ever Sunday. So people in Illinois think they started it. People in New York are convinced that they started it. So there's this whole big thing. It's massive and obviously it has its origins in America. So very interesting. Knickerbocker glories were my thing. I don't know Mm. if they were your thing. Mm. But so they're kind of the closest thing that I would remember to a Sunday. But Okay, so if you want to recreate something like that, you're going to need, I mean, it's all about the glass really, isn't it? It really is. So Amazon is a great place to start for this. And again, I I don't think that you need to specifically search for Sunday glasses. You can get these... uh, milkshake soda glasses which hold 300 mils you can get a set of six of those for around 20 oh yeah they're euro. like the ones like say you'd find in a diner or exactly. Eddie Rockets or something like that exactly okay. so they're like slightly taller um, they're kind of designed for ice cream glasses American diner style exactly that so soda fountains as well and long tall smoothier fruit glasses so you can actually utilise them for other things as well cheap as chips you get a you get a, a pack of six for them and, and you're away there are also other options that you can do I mean I know I talk about them a lot on the show but Ikea you can't really uh, yeah you can't go wrong because go wrong. it's kind of cheap and cheerful isn't it exactly they have a range of glasses called now I'm definitely going to pronounce this wrong and Ledling apologies if that's wrong but it's kind of like a goblet but I, and these but are more squared off glasses but they have a lovely kind of fringe effect around them they do yeah and they've got kind of a lovely you can get them in a pinkish hue or you can get them in kind of a brownie almost gold which does bring a bit of a vintage air to it so they're literally two euro in Ikea so you can stock up on those. And then again, we have to think about what we're doing with this glassware. We're filling it with ice cream. So don't be too precious about yeah. it as well. You're literally <laughs> exactly. going to be doing it maybe once or twice. if you've got kids in like a few hundreds and thousands or jelly tots or something on top, oh, yeah. uh, you've got a, a winner on your hands there. You're going to be like the best aunt ever. I'm thinking of myself here. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's it. So I, I actually really like these ones from Ikea because they've got a good amount of room in them that you can really shove all the good stuff in there. Yeah. And I they're like. quite solid as well. So they're not going to be tipped. Over. And they'll last you and then you can use them as, as water glasses as well. Just standard. Okay. okay. And um, then like something like a fruit punch then or something summery, a sangria or, you know, is there a, a, a kind of a pot that you can put that into or a, or a jug? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, you can just kind of lorry it all into a bigger version of that if you want. But kind of keeping with the, the sun and summer themed, I was looking for a little bit more maybe novelty style uh, Sunday glasses, if you will. And I went on to nesbits.ie and I found this really great pack of Hawaiian style. They're technically called cocktail glasses, but I think... You could definitely use them as Sunday glasses. 43 euro and you get a, a pack of six of them and they're literally shaped like a pineapple. Ah, That's fabulous. the best way that I can describe it. They've got a really nice textured rim on it as well, which is ideal for loading it up with fresh fruit and with any kind of creative ice the cream. The whole feel of summer that really you comes in a pineapple. Well, yeah. We featured pineapples and pineapple design a few weeks ago on the show uh, when we had Jennifer Sheehan in and uh, it's just fabulous. People love it. They love it on their curtains. They love it oh. on their table cloths and cushion covers everything anything that's like in the shape of a pineapple I will eat and drink everything out of it and those ones in particular hold 570 mils so you're going to get a lot of bang for your buck and a lot of happy people at your barbecue all right. Well, listen, thank you, Neve, for going shopping for us. You no always problem. enjoy it. And oh, we love, love sending it. you out. Oh, keep sending me. I love it. <laughs> you get great ideas. That is Neve Marr, Creative Director with The Journal. Uh, your favourite flavour ice cream while we have you? Oh, chocolate. Yeah. It has to be chocolate. I'm a bit I basic know. when it comes to that. I'm a pistachio fan, but you can't always get it. But That's but, bougie. Yeah, it's hard to get past uh, Cherry Garcia, really, if Ben and Jerry are around. Oh, you're so. fancy, Sinead. You're oh, way fancier than I me. I really like a little bit. Like the one scoop girl nice
I think I'm nice. going to pop out and get some now actually yeah. talking about it all this time. <laughs> all right. Well, hopefully we will have a return of that blistering hot weather even uh, briefly and you can employ all of those great ideas from Neve. And that's all we have time for on this week's Home Show. And remember, if you'd like to get involved in the show or you'd like us to send one of our guests out shopping or cover an item on the show, we are always interested in listener suggestions. You can get them into us here at 53106 or email us during the week at thehomeshow at newstalk.com and we will read through all of those and don't forget to check out all of our uh, shows, which are on podcast on the News Talk website or wherever you get your podcasts from. Thanks to Maurice O'Sullivan, who is producing with Stephen McLoon and Peter Malloy on sound. Stephanie Preisner is in for Anton Savage. I don't know whether she's brought ice creams with her. Maybe she has. Uh, we'll find out. But in the meantime, have a great weekend. And remember, we're here every Saturday at eight o'clock.